Um, good job, guys. Okay, so, guys, we're kicking off our sermon series in the Lord's Prayer. Oh, yeah, if you're a kid, age zero to seven, go ahead and follow Aaron. Sorry, this is our first time doing this. Praise, praise God for our kids' ministry. Give them a moment. And, and as, they are, as they are going out, uh, we are starting our series in the Lord's Prayer today. And we are beginning this, we're going to be looking at the same text pretty much every week, just different aspects of it over the next several weeks leading up to Advent. Uh, we're in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 5. If you would stand with me to hear the word of God, the word of God reads this way. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. May God bless this reading and preaching of his word. My kids love to draw... Um, all my kids do, but especially my little girls, and I just have visions of them going off to art school one day in the future, which I'm sure will be very expensive, and then me buying their very expensive paintings to hang in my house, uh, which I'm excited to do. But they're, they're artists, they love to draw. Uh, they love to draw so much that not only do they draw on paper and acceptable surfaces, but they also draw on tables and on furniture and other expensive surfaces. Recent, recently, I resurfaced some of my front steps, and they had this nice new clean surface, and my little girls saw this, and they were like, that is a blank canvas. That's perfect uh, for the wonderful works of art that they would make with a Sharpie marker, and their creations are there to this day. Um, watching young kids learn to draw or learn to write is fun because especially learn, learning to draw. We look at June, who her, you know, her first attempts start off as scribbles, and then very quickly they, they seem to learn shapes, and there's discernible shapes, and then their abilities just sort of blossom and bloom out of nowhere, and they're drawing these intricate pictures that they didn't know how to do before. Um, my kids have learned to draw, but they've never taken an art class. I never studied art history with them, that's not how they learn to draw. I never educated them on the fundamentals of shape and perspective and here's how you do the vanishing point and all that kind of stuff. Never had any of that. They've never endured any lectures in art. So how did they learn? All of them have learned to draw by following patterns. Just the other day, and this is how they learned to write as well, by tracing patterns that are laid out for them. Uh, just the other day I caught my youngest, June, drawing a crab. And I've never seen her do this before, but she learned how to do it by looking at her drawing book, and it showed her the shapes to draw, and she would trace that, trace those patterns, and then she's able to draw a crab by tracing patterns. 
when Jesus' disciples asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray, he did not give them a theological treatise on prayer. Uh, he didn't explain to them everything about how prayer worked or about how Jesus is God and the Father is God and Jesus prays to the Father and all, the, all of the intricacies of how that works. He gave them some simple instructions and he said, pray like this. And then he gave us the most famous and the most prayed prayer that has ever been prayed. It's what we know as the Lord's Prayer. The Westminster Larger Catechism calls the Lord's Prayer a pattern for prayer. If we will let the Lord Jesus take our hand and trace over the lines that he has laid down, it will teach us how to pray in ways that are powerful and effective. So over the next few weeks leading up to Advent, we're going to be studying the Lord's Prayer. We're going to be trying to trace its patterns so that our prayer lives will be built up, so that we can pray more freely and more fully. But here's where I want to begin. Before we begin to look at the individual petitions, which is what we'll be doing, you and I, for you, or I'll just speak for myself, but if you're anything like me, you don't spend that much time in prayer. And the reason is because we do not see the immediate benefit of it. There's so many things, so many things that seem so immediate and are pressing for our attention and need to be dealt with right away, but we do not see the immediate benefit of prayer. This afternoon, I want to open up our study on the Lord's Prayer with just an overview, just kind of looking at the whole thing, and argue that we should pray like Jesus taught because prayer does three things immediately. Regardless of whether or not we experience the answers to prayer or prayers are answered immediately, there are three things that happen immediately when we pray, especially like how the Lord taught us to pray. Our prayers are rarely answered immediately, and that's, that's one reason why we don't pray, because there are not immediate results. But here are three things that happen every time that we pray, like Jesus taught us, and those three things are these. Solitude, dependence, and confidence. That's what we want to look at. So the first is that the Lord's Prayer drives us to a solitude that we deeply need. Listen to what Jesus says about the solitude of prayer. In verses 5 and 6, he says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. They got exactly what they set out to gain. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Prayer is one of the only things, one of the only things that we do as Christians that must be done alone. It must be done alone. It's not that we, we don't pray together. It's certainly something that we can and should do. But it's one of the only things that we do as Christians. No one can do it for us. We have to do it alone. The fullness of prayer is something we must experience alone. The hypocrites that Jesus warned about the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day turned prayer just into one more public religious act that could be seen and that could be celebrated and that could be acknowledged. Jesus warned about the Pharisees' religion. They were a very serious religious group in Jesus' day, but everything they did, they did in order to be seen by others. They were chasing the approval and the respect of men and they turned prayer even, even to something that would gain them that. And Jesus says they've They've got exactly what they've sought. They've got their reward. 
Prayer for them was just one more opportunity to gain the respect of those around them. So they loved to pray wherever they could be seen, wherever they could be heard. But Jesus says that if that's what they're chasing, they're totally missing the real reward and the real benefit of prayer. And Jesus says that when we pray, we ought to go somewhere alone and to pray in secret. And I think that for us, we have an incredibly hard time being alone, and I think I know why. Now, you may be hearing this as a young mother and thinking, all right, this is where I get off because I love to be alone, and I want nothing more than to be alone. My problem is that I can't get my, I'm never alone. That's my problem. Well, wait just one moment here. Here's what I mean by being alone. I mean sitting with ourselves with no diversions, no work to do, nothing to read, nothing to scroll, simply with ourselves alone. And I think this is what we have a really hard time with. Uh, Blaise Pascal, 18th century philosopher and Christian, wrote a lot about this, and here's some of the things that he had to say. I just want to share this with you. The only good thing for men and women, therefore, is to be diverted from thinking of what they are, either by some occupation which takes their mind off it or by some novel and agreeable passion which keeps them busy, like gambling, hunting, some absorbing show, in short, by what is called diversion. However sad a man may be, if you can persuade him to take up some diversion, he will be happy while it lasts. And however happy a man may be, if he lacks diversion and has no absorbing passion or entertainment to keep boredom away, he will soon be depressed and unhappy. And I think Pascal is so right about this. If I, you might experience the same thing, but if I sit my kids in front of a TV screen to watch a movie, they will get totally sucked in and diverted from all of their needs and from all of their pains. It's like they're in a trance when they're, when they're watching a video. I can't tell you how many times they're watching a show and then it's time to turn it off, and suddenly, as soon as it turns off, they become aware of their pain. They're like, Dad, I got a poo! You know, or, Dad, I'm so hungry, I'm starving, I haven't eaten in hours. And they, it's like, guys, like, are you just now aware of this? And yes, because they were diverted that whole time. They're momentarily diverted away from their pains and needs. And are we any different from that as adults? We're a bit more sophisticated. Our hobbies, our interests, our scrolling, our projects, none of those things are bad. I'm not saying it's bad to have that but we tend to fill our lives to the brim with activity so that there is never an empty moment and we would dread for there to be an empty moment and we are never then confronted with ourselves and with our own emptiness. I remember when I was uh, a senior in high school, this was my first experience with this, my pastor took me on a retreat, a silent retreat to this monastery up in upstate New York And the rules for this retreat were they had three meals a day, and during the meals you could have some conversation. But other than that, you you were in a little simple bedroom alone, or you could walk the grounds. There were no electronics, and it was a silent retreat. You were not allowed to talk to anyone. So you were just literally alone with yourself, with nothing to do. And I hated it. I hated it. I was, I was so angry the whole time. I was so frustrated and depressed. And I sat down in a sort of a debriefing session with one of the priests there. 
and started talking to him about how mad I was, and I just started crying. And if you know anything about me, I, I do not cry. Uh, not, not often, anyway. My wife maybe remembers like four times in the history of our marriage where I've cried. It was so hard, but something inside of me in that experience broke, and I began to seek out more of that kind of thing, and I've developed more of, more of an ability to be alone and just, just to be with God. But this is one reward that we immediately receive from praying, like Jesus taught us to pray, is that prayer forces us to cultivate solitude, which confronts us with our emptiness and our need to be filled. So here's one step of growth that I would challenge all of us to take as we venture into this series, is we really should strive to do this. Make time each week to be alone. To be alone so that you can begin to learn to pray. And and it seems obvious that that's step one to prayer, but Jesus says this is step one. Go into your room and shut the door. Be alone so that your Father who sees in secret will hear you and reward you. That's one thing that immediately happens when we go down this path and we need it. Second thing is dependence. The Lord's Prayer drives us to dependence. One thing that we should notice about the Lord's Prayer that's unique is that it is a series of petitions. There's an introduction, which is our Father. Jesus says, address God as Father. But then after this, there's just a series of seven petitions. We're asking God to meet seven needs. Hallow thy name, thy kingdom come, give us our daily bread, seven petitions. This is not a prayer of adoration or of thanksgiving. Some of the Psalms, for example, uh, if you read some of the Psalms, they don't ask God to do anything. They just praise God for who he is and worship him. The Lord's Prayer is a little different. It's a prayer that is recognizing our needs, and it's asking God to meet those needs. It's all about needs. Again, the Westminster Larger Catechism says of the Lord's Prayer, that it encompasses all of the needs of body and soul. Every need that we have is touched upon in the Lord's Prayer. If we have these seven things that Jesus teaches us to ask for, I would go as far as to say this. If we have these things, then we have everything that we need. If we have the seven things that Jesus says that we should ask for, we have it all. So not only does this prayer teach us what to ask, It actually also teaches us what we really need. What is it that we need? You find it in the Lord's Prayer. Helmut Thielica was a pastor in Germany during World War II. Um, I love those World War II German pastors that resisted the the Nazis. Um, He was a member of the Confessing Church, which actively resisted Nazism, and especially uh, the Nazi attempt to control the church and its teachings. And he had a congregation in Stuttgart, Stuttgart, that's Stuttgart there, um, which became a battleground toward the end of the war. So this was a city in Germany that was the target of uh, air raids from the Allies. The Allies launched 53 air raids against Stuttgart in 1944 and 1945. They targeted railways, factories, public buildings, mainly to gum up the German war effort, but almost 5,000 civilians were killed during that period. So just imagine living in a time of war where foreign planes could come at any time to our city to drop a bomb downtown or in the rail yards or at GE or P&G or any of those strategic sites. I mean, that would be a stressful time. 
naturally, in Stuttgart at that time, many fled from the city. Many churches no longer gathered for worship because it was a dangerous thing to do so. But there was one church that continued to gather faithfully in the city center, and that was the little church pastored by Helmut. And during this time, Helmut taught a series on the Lord's Prayer. And that's, uh, it's actually contained in a book, and that's one of the source texts for, for this sermon series. But eventually, he began in one building, and eventually the building they were meeting in was destroyed. It was hit by a bomb. No one was in it at the time. But the series was finished in another building. But it was finished. And here's one thing that Helmut had to say about the Lord's Prayer. He commented that his congregation had faced many troubles and trials and fears and anxieties during the war, but, quote, he said, the Lord's Prayer was able to contain it all. There was not a single question that we could not have brought to it. The Lord's Prayer is truly the prayer that spans the world, the world of everyday trifles and universal history, the world with its hours of joy and bottomless anguish, the world of citizens and soldiers, the world of monotonous routine and sudden terrible catastrophe, the world of carefree children and at the same time of problems that can shatter grown men. He said the Lord's Prayer saw us through all of that. So praying the Lord's Prayer, as we do that, it, it does two things. The first thing that it does is that it teaches us our real needs and secondly, it cultivates dependence. Just comment on those briefly. First, it teaches us our real needs. You know, we're often confused about our real needs, what it is we really need. There's things that we think that we need in order to be whole and happy, but we don't really need them. And if we had them, they wouldn't make us feel whole and happy anyway, and they would probably complicate our lives. You ever just beg the Lord for something that you really want, and you're not getting it, and then eventually the Lord's just gracious, and he gives it to you, and it just makes your life worse, and you're like, I wish I never would have asked for this. You ever had that? I've had that. We get confused about what we really need and what we really think, what, what we really want. We're confused about that too. And then there are things that we need that we're really not even aware of. We don't even know to ask for. We don't know what to ask for in prayer because we don't know what we really need. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is saying, this is what you need. It's this. Ask for these things, and if you have them, you'll have it all. You'll have everything that you need, and you'll be whole and happy. And this is what we're going to get into into the series. But, you know, briefly, what does Jesus say that we need? He says that we need God to be glorified. Hallowed be thy name. We need God to reign. Your kingdom come. We need provision for today. Give me my daily bread. Provision for today. We need forgiveness, and we need to forgive others. And we need protection from temptation and sin. It's actually pretty audacious. Jesus says, if you have that, you've got it all. You have it all. We have all that we need. So praying the Lord's Prayer helps us get in touch with that, our real needs. It also cultivates dependence. Think about this petition in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. How often do you ask God to provide for your daily needs? Your, your daily bread. If you're anything like me, you don't ask God for this because you believe that that's something that you can handle yourself. It's like the guy that's looking for his car in the parking lot. He's like, Lord, I'm totally lost. Please help me find my car. And then he sees it and he's like, oh, you know what, God? Never mind. I found it. You know? Um, how often do we ask God to provide for our daily needs? Uh, we, we believe that these are things we can take care of ourselves. 
Um, you don't need God to provide your daily bread because you can go out and work and get it yourself. You're independent. We're independent. But this is an illusion. Independence is an illusion. None of us are independent. Our work that we have is provided to us by the Lord. He opened the necessary doors and gave us favor to get the work that we have. Our health, our ability to work is provided to us by the Lord. Our lives are constantly upheld by Him. We're completely dependent upon Him in every moment. None of us are independent or self-made individuals. That's the point of praying the Lord's Prayer. It puts us in touch with who we really are, completely dependent upon the Lord. That's the second thing that praying this prayer does for us immediately, is it drives us to dependence. And thirdly, the Lord's Prayer drives us to confidence. Now let's remember that this is the Lord's Prayer. It's not just the prayer he taught us to pray. It's his prayer. It's the prayer that he prays. It's the Lord's Prayer. It's not first and foremost our prayer. This is the prayer of the Son to the Father. The prayer of the Son to the Father. And it's a prayer that Jesus allows us to pray with him. And now, why is that significant? Well, I'd like to describe to you my prayer life as it is most of the time. Mostly when I pray, I don't really ask God for anything special or anything specific. I spend most of my time in prayer recognizing who he is, giving him thanks, confessing sin, asking for forgiveness. And that's really good. We should, we should pray those prayers. But those are kind of safe prayers. When we pray prayers like that and we don't ask God to provide or to move, um, we're not making ourselves vulnerable to a yes or to a no. Because those are prayers that cannot be answered. It's actually it's kind of scary to make a request from God, a prayer that he could either deny or answer. In an emergency situation, I might cry out to God for help. Last year was a very tumultuous year for our family, and I did cry out in, in specific ways for the Lord to provide. I needed a job. you know. I needed certain doors to be opened. I needed help in many specific ways. So I did, I was motivated to cry out to God. But most of the time, I don't walk away from prayer feeling very confident. I don't feel confident that God hears me, that he takes notice of me. I don't feel confident that he would answer my prayers, partly because I know that I haven't been listening to him very well. And if I'm not listening to God, why would he listen to me? You know? So my confidence is shot. I wonder if you can relate to that. But here's the beautiful thing about the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is not just giving us a prayer to pray. He's giving us himself. And in doing that, he is opening the doorway to the very throne room of God. There's a story about a Union soldier in the Civil War. His father and his older brother were both killed. And he thought that because of that, he was needed at home on his farm to help his his mother and his family during the planting season so he sought to be relieved from duty but unsuccessfully he, he could not get his case heard it kept getting turned down so when his company passed through Washington DC he decided you know what I'm gonna try to seek an audience with President Lincoln to plead my case before the commander-in-chief but when he went to the White House to try to do so, he was turned away. He couldn't get near him. A regular soldier could not obtain a meeting with the president uninvited then any more than you or I could today. So dejectedly, he went and sat on a park bench 
thought about his life, and eventually a little boy came up to him and said, Soldier, you look sad. What's the matter? And the soldier recounted his tale and his woes to the boy. And so the boy grabbed him by the hand and, and led him back to the White House. But this time he led him to a rear entrance. And he led him past security guards and high political officials. No one stopped them. And eventually he led him through a door right into the Oval Office where President Lincoln sat at his desk. And Lincoln looked at the boy and said, What can I do for you, Todd? To which Todd replied, Daddy, this soldier needs to talk to you. And that is how this soldier got an audience with the most powerful man on the planet. He obtained access through the Son. Access through the Son. That's the beauty of the Lord's Prayer. That's the beauty of Christian prayer, is that we are so bold to venture into the throne room of God, even to call the creator of the universe Father, because we never venture in alone. We are taken by the hand, by the Lord Jesus Christ, who puts his robe on our shoulders, who puts his ring on our finger, who presents us to the Father and says, Father, my brother needs to talk to you. Or Father, my sister needs to talk to you. And whatever they might ask of you, would you charge that to my account? That's what we have in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus came as a man. He came as our brother. He lived a worthy life, one by which the Father was well pleased. And he offered himself on the cross to atone for the sins of his brothers and sisters. This should give us such confidence in prayer that even if we do not yet possess the things that we're asking for, that we walk around as though we do. We walk around as though we already do. Remember these words from John in his letter. We uh, had this in a sermon. John says, This is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we've asked of him. So what are you asking God to provide in Jesus' name that you do not yet possess? If we ask in the name of Jesus... And if we ask according to his will, which we're going to be learning about in the Lord's Prayer, then the check is in the mail. That's the confidence that we have. We can and should live in the world with that confidence. To that end, let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the help that we receive from the Lord's Prayer. And we do pray your blessings on this sermon series that you would teach us, encourage us, challenge us. Lord, we pray for our kids downstairs. We thank you for those that are serving with them, and we pray that as they learn some of these th same things, that you would teach them to cry out to you in prayer, to call upon you as Father, and that you would bless the instruction down there as well. All of this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.